Hello there, and welcome to the Joyfully Black Podcast, where we have candid conversations with Black women on nourishing their mental well-being while balancing career, family life, and community care. I'm your host, Joy Dixon, a public health professional turned woman in tech and lover of seeing people thrive in their zone of genius. Happy 2024. I cannot believe we are here, but so glad um, that we have made it. And today's episode, which we'll get into into a minute, um, is all about thriving and really celebrating womanhood, particularly around Renaissance. Now, I'm sure a lot of people have read think pieces, have watched a documentary, all those things at and just just consumed the the renaissance and Beyonce of it all um, media over the past, I would say, a couple of months and, of course, the year, honestly, because of the tour. And so on um, today's episode, we're really going to dive into that. And um, I know you all are accustomed to me giving my uh, motto of the year, which we'll do in a future episode. But today, I just want to celebrate... The opulence that is us, especially as we walk into another year in which we are making our self-care and mental wellness a priority. With that being said, um, just keep in mind that this was recorded right before the launch of the documentary. And um, I would love to hear your thoughts. If you did go to see uh, the Beyonce Renaissance documentary, would love to hear from you on social media or via email at joyfullyblk or joyfullyblack.com. And with that being said, enjoy the show. Today uh, is a very special show because I am joined by two guests to chat about the Renaissance album, the Renaissance worldwide global tour, and its relation to joy. And so um, as you all heard from today's introduction of the podcast, the Renaissance experience has been something that's been talked about avidly throughout the interwebs. I mean, from the time that the tour date was announced, to the coordinated efforts to purchase tickets, to planning intergalactic Western or futuristic attire, it was clear that the Renaissance tour had people in a choke hold. And so those who attended, I gotta say, seemed almost speechless when asked about the show, because I know I asked, like, how is it, whatever, it's my first time going. And it didn't matter who I was speaking to, but their eyes would go wide, their hands would fly up as though they were just in awe. And now that I have experienced this, I have to tell you, I totally understand why. I mean, the show is decadent, mesmerizing, and in whole, just the celebration of self-acceptance, Black womanhood, queer icons, and of course, Black joy. And today, I am joined by two dear friends. My first guest is Pamela Polt, who uh, by day is in the energy sector, and by night is a burgeoning. Well, you're, you're a Beyonce fan. Can I say that you're a Beyonce fan, Pam? Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay, yes. and I'm also joined. By- <laughs> And I'm also joined by Fulayeme on the day, who was a veteran member <laughs> of the day. Hi. Hi. <laughs> and so I wanted to have them on today because it was my first concert. Pam and I actually went together. You know, just a discussion, because this was really a cultural moment, right? I don't know if it felt that way to you all, but it was a cultural moment and you know, from the release of the Renaissance album last summer 
to the announcements of her tour dates. Um, I mean, people have been in a frenzy. And so, um, actually I'm going to, I'm going to start with, I'm going to start with, with you, Pam. Um, you know, the first single on the Renaissance album was you won't break my soul. Right. Yes. And so, yes. And so to me, when that song first came out, people were trying to get a vibe for what Beyonce's album would be about, like for this whole thematic thing that she has going on, because as we notice, it is act one. And mm-hmm. I'll spare you all the details of theories about act two, three, and so forth and so on. But what what did you think when that song was first released and how it would lead to the body of what we know as Renaissance today it was so to me it was I also think about renaissance as like to me like a continuation of my like fat like infatuation with black dance music music Mm. I got into pose and it was like one of my favorite things from the pandemic Uh Mm -hmm. so not being like I said not being a long time Beyonce fan to me it was more like oh my gosh this is like this is like connecting me to yes. suppose. And, and then the album came in. It was like, oh, this is even better. <laughs> exactly. And Selena, I know you had the album on repeat. So what was that like for you from the time the singer came out to you just going through the, through the Renaissance album track after track? After track. Yeah, so it was actually my most played album of 2022. Unsurprisingly, Apple iTunes let me know immediately. And I was like, I haven't played it that many times. For real, y'all? Really? I did. <laughs> I would cycle to it and I was training for an Underground Railroad ride. And I would just listen to it because the BPMs were perfect for cycling and just have it on repeat. And yeah, I, I listened to it dozens of times in a matter of months. So I, I do love it. Um, uh, Pam, I love what you just said about Pose. Because I feel like so much of the Renaissance album and the tour draw from Paris is Burning, um, which Mm -hmm. is a document about ballroom and really like create a more contemporary vault of media for us to draw from, to think about queer iconography that was intentionally um, sort of intentionally buried or lost or never recorded, disregarded, right? Um, To treat people as if they didn't have interior lives and culture that they brought to the world. And I went with a, another friend who also identifies as a part of the LGBTQIA plus community. And they started to cry at one point because it was so emotional to feel seen. Because um, mm. in cultures where queerness is at, at, at the most sort of like innocuous, um, you do you, that's between you and God. And at the worst, you know, clearly illegal and you're, you're extricated from your community uh, for being a queer person. So to see it front and center and not, commodified in the way that like Madonna and Vogue uh, did and erased people and only allowed a few people's bodies to act out what was truly a culture, um, but to really embrace that, compensate people for their artistry, encourage them to bring their artistry, document it, and then again, create something that helps not necessarily fill a gap because there are just years of, of queer history, particularly black and, and brown queer history that we've lost but to start mm-hmm. in a place where we can then focus on abundance and more and more and normalizing. Right. And uh, so I really appreciated the album building on that when I heard break my soul the first time and I heard big Frida and I heard those like loops that are really common in eighties house music mm-hmm. when a black woman who was darker skin and larger body singing, but never represented 
in the media around the music video. It mm-hmm. feels like what's Beyonce about to do in terms of this commentary on forgotten, marginalized people who aren't sufficiently foregrounded, particularly Big Frida, particularly who, you know, Drake sampled with that Kiki, do you love me? But where is Big Frida in the video? Like, how are we representing mm. Person is a whole person and again, like culture shaper. So I will just say, I feel like Beyonce, she dropped that seed with the yeah. muscle and then she said, I'm not going to let it go. And I feel like she's verged into a really creative and subversive space, which is also academic. And I'll say more in comparison to what I think about that and other tours. But yeah, I just, I think she did a phenomenal job of offering us something that we know has a root, but we haven't seen enough of the body of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. It's interesting that you brought up Paris's burning. I'm aware of I'm aware of the documentary, but I haven't had a, haven't sat down to watch it just yet. But it did cross my it did cross my mind though. Even even watching the show and just seeing the different dance moves that I know is is common with with, with ballroom with the ballroom scene. And it glad that you shared the friend who accompanied you to the concert, like there how it looked like emotional for them because I thought like, oh, wow, like I know how I feel when I see a Black woman on stage thriving. And so I was like, I don't really imagine what it, what it means for someone um, who is uh, who is queer, LGBTQIA. I do want to dive into leading up. So uh, in preparation for this concert, you know, all about the outfits. Now, Polyuma, did you do, did you do a whole outfit thing? I'm terrible at that. I was just happy to be alive. Because I only I was I was at that point and um Joy did the shopping. And so I was I was definitely at that point with you. I was like, I'm just happy to be here, but Joy made me shine. I'm so well, listen. <laughs> yes, we, we definitely stood out in a sea of chrome for sure. Um, I haven't posted all the pictures on social media at all, but we did like a lime green fringe uh, mm-hmm. skirt and a fringe, uh, black fringe halter top. It'll be super cute if we ever, you know, for salsa dancing or carnival. So, you know, two for one occasion events. I loved it. Yes, exactly. Yes. As um, as Pam could tell from all the shimming that I want to do, like everywhere, it was a little ridiculous. I gotta say, <laughs> good, all good. But can I say, though, I did not come to stand out. I did come for the show. Yes, yes. The Phillies and the guys and the days and the thems did not disappoint in the DC Sunday. Did not, did not. And one of my favorite people was a person who made sure they went up and down the stands to tell people, you better be ready for the on-mute challenge. Like they knew all of us. Like they said it directly to us, like, do not fail me. This is a collective obligation. And they had on like a weighted vest that they had turned chrome. And I was like, this is such an awesome combination of like ideas of soft and hard and futuristic functional. And I was like, whoever you are, I want to be friends with you because I like the way you think. Yeah. Seriously, I mean the creativity. I mean, honestly, I wish I, I wish I wore shades because I just wanted to stare at everyone in the fashions and like, oh, what inspired you to make that? Like some, of course, some people were, you know, did their own version of some of um, Beyonce's uh, costume changes from the show. Of, you know, what we've seen in, in the European dates and up until uh, the Charlotte show specifically. But I will say, I don't know. I don't know if it was you, Fuliani, or someone else was telling me. That, you know, for people who were really into the Renaissance vibe, that 
intergalactic sort of chrome, the chrome children of Beyonce mother, mother Beyonce. You know, people, members of her team or whomever were like pulling folks to the side because they could be on the floor. They get on the floor seats. Did you hear that? Yes. <laughs> I did not receive. <laughs> yes. Apparently, like if you were, if you were like really, you know, decked out on brand with the Renaissance vibe, you know, people got pulled to the side and were blessed to be on the floor. Can I tell you that I think that speaks to that pose Paris is burning culture, right? Like when mm. we talk about serving realness, that language comes from that world where people would have categories, like the category is body. She says that in one of the songs. Yes. Right? yes. So, Paris is burning. There's a segment that's like the category is corporate businessman. And this is like, mm-hmm. a thing, like peak Lee Coca, slick back, you know, straightened hair. You know, double-breasted, pinstripe, dark suits, and all those things. And so, you know, people would get those things either tailored or find the highest end version of those things or create their own aesthetic. And people would say, you know, they are serving corporate realness. Like it's it's giving me entrepreneur, it's giving CEO, it's giving seven figures, it's giving certified contractor. Like, and and they would just go in, right? And so. She validated that people came prepared to serve with that cultural authenticity, that they were paying attention, they got the yes. news, and they should be rewarded with visibility, which is, I think, very much what winning in ballroom was about as well. Mm. I like what you mentioned about the, the, the winning in visibility. That completely cracks because, to me, the whole album is about being seen. It, it really, it, it really is it's about being seen. Whether it's in love with your partner, whether it's letting people know, like I'm here, I have arrived, or just being comfortable in your own skin and knowing that you know you're going to ride for your friend as well. It, it really, it it really is is the anthem to that. As I'm talking to you, like that's that's actually coming up for me. And I would even say also like the inclusivity, like both in the album and in in the concert, because it was. It was amazing to see people, like you said, just bring that passion. It was like the space mm-hmm. to come and, and and kind of just recreate, you know, like kind of just recreate yourself for when, a day. But if you didn't want to, you you felt like you were still part of it. Um, I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't feel like it was a um, it was very strict in like how it had to be defined. Um, right. I absolutely just love that. And speaking of visuals, so we're going to go on to the, the to the actual concert experience. So it was my first Beyonce concert. Uh, why? I just didn't want to spend the money. I, I am. A, I love Beyonce's albums. I've listened to every single one. Uh, I just never want to spend the money. But I'm aware that we are all getting older and I still want to see her in her prime and shaking a tail feather. So I said, so I said during the pandemic, if Beyonce goes on tour, which I'm sure she will, I'm going to make sure I am in my face is in the place. So that was me. And I, and I was, it made me, I will say watching the show made me, I'm a person of very few regrets, but I honestly was just like, I wish I had gone to summer for earlier show. Just should have spent the money. As Fuliemi is shaking her head. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told Floyd that Beyonce's validating your regret. 
Beyonce taught me how to budget. Okay. And I was like, I don't care if these are the worst seats in FedEx field. All right. I don't care if I have to watch a screen through binoculars. I will figure out a way to afford the cheapest tickets and I will get there on my little, you know, salary that wasn't even cutting it in terms of rent and basic expenses at the time um, when I went to go mm-hmm. to the Lemonade tour uh, years ago. So I went with other friends who were also like doing jobs that, you know, were getting us by at that time. And we said, we're going to have a great time. We're going to pack some snacks. All right. We're going to carpool and we're going to make a <laughs> and and mm-hmm. and the energy was there. It was nothing but the sing along. It was great. And the second time, I was able to gift a friend the opportunity to go and just be like, you know, girl, just just treat me like you're 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 paying for. You know what I'm saying? Just pay me as you can, and like I would love to to have you there. So that that energy also um, uh, was amazing to share with another person. And and then this time, I got really lucky, and some friends who uh, are mutual friends with Joy. We all actually know each other because Joy facilitated our connection through an organization that we met in. Um, they won some tickets, and then again, we're we're lucky that we have budgeted and been financially responsible to be able to pay them for the very reduced value of those tickets. We we were quite close, so I, I feel like that was an incredible experience, and I am forever indebted to them. Shout outs to the Stolzes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love them. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But can I can I say a little bit about that transition over time and those concerts? Yes. So you know, you know what Lemonade did for the culture. I don't think that we would have had the year of racial reckoning and the number of organizers who were already prepared and deep in the culture and 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 just ready to own who we are as black folks and what we deserve if it wasn't for what that album did as a sort of sonic representation of that energy. I know that's mm-hmm. giving her a lot of credit, but people need cultural components to complement the political. And I think she did that with Lemonade. And I feel like the concert reflected that, not only in terms of that political energy, but that feminist energy, that womanist rage that you ain't going to shut me down. What does Kiki Palmer say? You're not going to stop what's rolling over here, whatever the case may be. Right. Lemonade was a response to that. And it was also in many ways pan-African. There's a performance there with like Artificial Rain where she and other dancers do gumboot. Um, yes. In South Africa. It's amazing. Um, and so when they do Freedom, it was awesome. The second tour I saw, this is the one she did with her husband. And, you know, God bless Sean Carter and their entrepreneurship. Um, I, you know, no, 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 no. See, you ought to throw some shade. See, that's that Southern from people who are Northerners. That's that Southern shade for, oh, bless them. But they about to say, okay, we're going to recognize who you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> bless Mr. Carter's heart. Um, I do feel like that tour was a compendium of their greatest hits. And I feel like people who are big Beyonce fans felt like the energy was stilted when he went over his discography because they weren't familiar with it. And that kind mm. of, it's sort of like when you go to a party and you're ready to hear like a real DJ who goes deep in the crates, but then people are like, could you play that Migos though? Or could you play whatever is the thing that is the bane of your existence right now? And they kill the mood. It was like that. And so even if you knew songs from Blueprint or 444, there are people talking through them. Because they just want to see Beyonce do what Beyonce does. And it felt like the greatest hits. And so, again, a huge sing-along, but the energy was definitely not um, as innovative as it was a sort of cementing of these two people as as cultural icons who shared the space and made a lot of money as a family, right? Again, Mm -hmm. Sean Carter, what's, what's better than one billionaire, too? Right. Okay. They're on their way. If she takes 500 million from this tour as a projection, she'll take 500 million from the store. So she's definitely on her way to that, that beat on top Mm -hmm. of. And so for this one, however, for Renaissance, I felt like this was all about 
creativity and innovation. There's a slide that comes up that says, you know, um, imagination is more important than knowledge and that has stayed with me forever. And I think that's such an important message to black audiences and queer audiences, people who have been denied access to higher education and been told our educations, our ontologies, our ways of seeing the world are inadequate and impartial because we haven't had access to certain spaces when they are full and they're robust and they stand on their own. And I think she valued Mm -hmm. And there was also something that she did that I think is like reflective of a, a lot of, I think, work she's been doing on the back end because she doesn't do interviews. We don't know it, but it comes up. So long story short, do y'all remember when a certain political cultural icon said that Beyonce is a gender terrorist many years ago? No, I don't recall that. So when she was in her crazy in love phase, people said she's a gender terrorist. She's creating this, um, arc- she's recreating or re-energizing. Archetype. Yep. Yes. Archaic mm-hmm. femininity. Here she is. Mm-hmm. People are latching on to that. And we see with social media, there are things that are very mimetic. And now people are talking about like folks having plastic surgery to have the same face. And they call it like the uncanny valley where everyone looks alike. So mm-hmm. because that term comes from artificial intelligence and tech. Why am I bringing this into this? So for folks who've been to the concerts or are familiar with some of the snapshots, you'll see that she goes through a sequence or several of them that's about like uh, being a cyborg, right? Or a composite of something from the future or that's otherworldly. And so I think that's an interesting thing for her to latch onto because around the same time that this person called her a gender terrorist, there was like uh, an increase in literature about the objectification of women as cyborgs. And that could be like in the Siri voice and women as um, disembodied servants through the virtual world or through um, sex dolls um, mm-hmm. that are in some ways animated and just, again, a, a way to make a woman an automaton or an object. And then real women, human women, internalizing that and participating in the world in uniform ways in order to be loved or seen, which gets into the uncanny valley, the common face, common body type, the the manufacturing of a certain mm-hmm of beauty and dynamic. And I feel like what she did with the cyborg was to say, all that's real and that's happening, but that's not what's going on over here. This is about an assemblage of what I believe matters, of who I am. And this is a futuristic aesthetic because I am light years ahead of where I was before. And you can join, Mm -hmm. you can get it or you cannot, you you could see it superficially, but I don't have to be a reflection of a kind of flattening um, I can be, again, as thoughtful, subversive, critical as I want to, as well as perfected. And mm-hmm. that doesn't have to be um, prescriptive. And so I felt like a lot of that sequence was actually about that uh, sameness and rejecting sameness, even if those things have similar composite parts. That's an interesting reflection because I do remember some of those think pieces during the crazy and love and and as we know, the pendulum swings in regards to what femininity looks like, what's appropriate, respectability, politics of it all, especially nowadays. And honestly, I got to say, when I, spoiler for folks who have not seen the tour yet or have not, who have been avoiding social media, sorry, spoiler, you know, she has a, a great set design, or at least I liked it anyway. It really actually made me think of Janelle Monet. Because, you know, Janelle Monae's theme since she has come on the scene was being a part of a metropolis as though she was otherworldly. And so it made me think, it it did make me think about the evolution 
of Beyonce and her acceptance of, I mean, she, clearly she knows she's talented and I could be projecting because I don't know this woman. Although you can call me girl. Um, <laughs> um, but it, it, it made me think about her totally being comfortable in, in that power. Not, not that she isn't, but it made, but it gave me the impression that she's completely comfortable owning it, even though as a lot of people say, she is actually introverted. She is, you know, a shy person, you know, and, um, and it just made me think like, she's just continuing to show a different layer that is also a tribute to the black women who have supported her for so long. You know, I mean, to me, like I appreciated the acknowledgement of, of the black women. I can't remember which song it was in, but I really appreciated that. And even like two or three of the women who I had to look up most of them I knew but I, I was just like you always have to honor the past because those are the those are the folks on whose shoulders that you stand and to honor those people who wish that they probably could have filled a stadium and be able to share actually a similar message it's just being it's being talked a little differently but it's a, it's a similar message of freedom of self-love and acceptance yeah, Joy. And then her opening to the um to the tribute to Tina Turner just kind of also oh. that it just sets the tone mm-hmm. of like, we are here to to honor the giants, to to be um just to kind of like recognize legacy. And, mm-hmm. and she is and part of the reason that when you called and was like, Hey, I'm gonna get tickets, you're gonna come? And I was like, Yeah, because I recognize that I think after every album, like Beyonce has grown into mm-hmm. a modern day legend. And I was like, yeah, I want to be. So, so seeing someone who has that platform and that power, because I think a lot of times, you know, a lot of artists have either, um, I think when we think of a previous generation, maybe that their power came a little later than their, their high point. And mm-hmm. But to, to be to 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 have her provide, you know, talk about like the influence and that she stood on Tina Turner's shoulder shoulders was just so powerful and just in the opening. Um and then and Fuliami about your comment um on the kind of the, that juxtaposition of her, you know, the visual and just this the, this convert this discussion that we're having about the I'm going to simplify it, but this kind of stereotypical gender roles and visuals that we have, you said it. And then it took me back to like the feelings that I was having while watching the show. So sometimes half the time, it it just kind of goes to show you going to these concerts and these cultural events. It's an emotional experience. So as a black Mm -hmm. woman, I was thinking about like what I was kind of, I talked about Pose and, and the black dance movement. But this album was also just a great um, soundtrack for what I was going through in my life at that time. Mm-hmm. So, so, and then, so you bring in, so it was just great to have that perspective because I think also, and to the point of you're making joy about Janelle Monet, we're having those same conversations because Janelle Monet straight away from, from the image and, and yes. the content. So we're having the same conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we absolutely are. I mean, I'm going to go into that 
Right, right. But into it's- that because I'm a huge Janelle Monet fan and I'm a little irritated with some of the think pieces of people who clearly have not been watching her for years, you know, <laughs> and now they're just realizing like, oh, she's a she's a woman with a figure. And it, um, these were choices. But anyway, I don't want to go down there. <laughs> Then this so fast because I'm 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 a I'm a Janelle Monet stand. So <laughs> for it. What is what is the there's a beehive, there's a navy. What is it for Janelle Monet? What is it a spaceship? <laughs> the, uh it's the um I think it's the uh the um arcoids. Oh okay. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to Google Janelle, what, what's your people call? <laughs> Because <laughs> um, you know we have the Metropolis. I think it's the androids. The androids. Okay, okay, okay. It Got could it. be. I could be making that up. But you know what? You heard it here, folks. You but it makes black. sense. It makes sense to androids because that was the world, the universe. I mean, now she's kind of going a different direction, um, which is fine. Um, By the way, I think she's coming to DC. Just, just put it out there. Oh, I, I already got tickets, so I didn't know if you wanted to come here. <laughs> Different conversation. Let's get back to this. I know this is this is a segue that I'm probably still going to keep in post no post production. But yes, I yes I did see those I did see those concert dates. So chat about that offline because I thought about both of you guys because you actually don't live too far from one another, not mm-hmm. that far. Anyway. Um, but yes, back to Madame Beyonce, Giselle Knowles, mm-hmm. Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, the visuals. Pam, you were talking about how like it struck you and like you were just remembering the the emotions that you felt like watching the show. Can you speak more to what you experienced? Because I know, fully, I mean, you saw the show, I think, a week before we did. And you said, oh, it's a visual masterpiece. I had other friends who saw that, that saw the DC show and another show that were just like, I can't even describe it. It was just a lot. It was that's the word I kept hearing people. It, it's a lot. You just have to see it. What what was that like for you, Pam? I think it was okay. You may remember this, Joy. It was early on. There was a there was a girl to my left, and I was sitting yes. along screaming. Yes. Being mm-hmm. um, obnoxious, but I, whatever. I'm at a concert, and she looked at me so annoyed, like because she is just trying to do her thing. And I remember after the fact that I wasn't even annoyed by this like look because it was like this is a spiritual moment for so many different people and just it's a whole different experience. And because I think I'm also not a longtime Beyonce fan, so I feel like I would go in and out. I'd be I'd have moments where I'm completely in and immersed. Other times where I'm just taking a step, kind of like being enjoying the space of watching this stadium full of people of different Mm -hmm. backgrounds generations it was it was a spiritual moment just watching everyone be together you're right it was almost like a communion of sorts where it didn't matter you know who you were we were going through this moment together and and just like when you walk into any space you're going to process it differently but you could just, just from everywhere you looked, it was just people just feeling just free, whether they were dancing or taking it in or just, you know, swaying side to side. Every, like, people were just feeling the energy, not only from 
Beyonce and her background dancers and a lot outstanding live music, but also the spirit of the people in that stadium. 100%. And I think that's why the on mute challenge matters to people because it's such mm. an expression of call and response. It's a reflection of being steeped in a culture where you have to respect mm-hmm. call and response and know it and anticipate it. And we were talking about how DC at one point held the crown. Okay. Um, but <laughs> there is some media of a person who screamed prematurely. And I was saying that person don't have no friends because um, nobody told them how to be prepared for this. Okay. And then just chill out and wait for the beat to drop. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> just don't do nothing. Um, clearly wasn't raised in church or in Africa or anything black. <laughs> black culture. It couldn't have been. <laughs> Someone from the diaspora who did that. I just didn't hear that in that screen. But my point is, um, you know, I, I did feel like it was a kind of communion. I agree. And when you talk about the visuals, one of the things that stayed with me is the names of the women who are forebears, right? So like to start with Tina Turner and to basically talk about all the women who are mothers. And again, back to ballroom culture, you know, having a mother of a house, a person who loved on you, a person who created a space and created a legacy, right? Excuse me. And like, you know, people talk about like the house of La Beja, which is the beginning of ballroom culture, the house of extravaganza. And when she, when Beyonce's doing one of the sets, I can't remember which one it is. She talks about Queen Mother Madonna, which is a reference mm-hmm. You know, who, again, she brought it into the mainstream in some ways, deeply problematically so, but she did. And I I appreciated those visuals. And one of the things I loved a lot was that she notes Grace Jones twice. And why do I say Grace Jones, if it wasn't for Black people, Black women in particular, and the way we will stand for somebody even if other people are ready to throw you away because we know the the effort, the pain, the work, the labor, the intention behind it, we're unparalleled in that regard. That is why Black women or Black queer folks, whomever coordinated is a force. Um, that's why we're a swarm, if you, you will, right? And her naming her twice for me says a lot because I feel like if it wasn't for that energy, Grace Jones would be and I'm not saying this flippantly, she would have experienced the world in the same way as Sinead O'Connor, who was also doing important political hard work in public and was clearly so uh, marginalized, so relegated for that by by white people who were the ones paying attention to her at that time that she suffered greatly. Um, And so to acknowledge Grace Jones so that she doesn't have to be a person whose work is um, uh, so obscure as opposed to us understanding that it's the foundation of being able to express oneself so assertively in a non-binary way, in a creative way, in a way that balances masculine, femininity, and anything on the spectrum um, is just really amazing. I feel like she names her twice because Grace Jones, for many Black women, was the beginning of a different kind of unapologetic representation of oneself, and she's carrying that thread through. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see it. I did notice that she named her twice, and... I appreciate your perspective on that because I, I didn't think of it that way. I was glad to see her involved in this project because Grace Jones has to be like in her 70s, I think, at this point. And is still stomping around like she's on a catwalk somewhere. Yeah. Stomping, I mean, in the most flattering way possible, you know? Yeah. In the most flattering, I mean, she's a sight to behold, frankly, you know? Can I can I pop in with a with a question? Can I take the mic, Joy? Yes, of course. So I it's funny because we're talking about the um especially in talking about like the the mother, the mother, the role of the mother in dance world had me thinking about um Blue Ivy being in the concert. Mm. 
Mm. And and I and fully, I mean, I'm just gonna say you're 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 the music expert on here, and I I want the kind of anthropological <laughs> background because I thought it was such a special moment because I I I just remember and I loved how Beyonce was just so protective of her kids and, mm-hmm. and really separating her career that life that she chose for herself when she, when she had the kids and, and then, you know, seeing her and then seeing the crowd welcome her so warmly, it just took my breath away. So I'd love to just hear both of your thoughts on that and your reactions. Well, I, I feel like, you know, I think we, most of us feel like Blue Ivy is like our little niece. Um, because I mean, who, who doesn't, of, of the millennial age, remember the debut of the baby bump during Love on Top at the MTV Awards, if I'm not mistaken. You know, so we all watched that in real time when people used to watch the MTV musical. <laughs> and so it's like we have, you know, seen the pregnancy to when she was a little girl and then, you know, she was kind of hidden for a while. And now we're just seeing this lanky tween, 11 years old, who is clearly, you know, the apple of her mother's eye and is being being given space to perform with her mother, who, I mean, she, I mean, she's legendary at this point. She may be 41, uh, September 4th, she'll be 42, you know, celebrating her 42nd birthday. But I mean, to say like, you're on stage with your mother who has all these accomplishments, you know, 25 years, I, get, I think, I believe of being a, um, a, solo, a solo artist at this point. To see that you're on stage, because I think about other um, other divas, if you will, like uh, Diana Ross or, you know, that's who immediately came to mind. Because I was thinking, like, who else would have possibly brought their children on stage to perform with them? But I'm not surprised by the warm reception that Blue Ivy got, because it is truly like you're seeing your niece or your little cousin grow up and you want to cheer them on. And it, it really reminds me of, now, clearly... Uh, Blue Ivy knew all her marks. Like she didn't miss, she didn't miss a beat. She was there with her energy. She was on point. It reminded me of like growing up, you know, in church and then the chat, you know, a child will come up and they say it and you just be like, cheer them on. It didn't really matter if they messed up or not, but you are going to make sure that they know they are loved. Whatever they do, we are going to cheer for. And the fact that she's 11 years old and performing in front of audiences across the globe, I'm going to be so curious to hear her perspective of that experience when she gets older and how she's, how she'll process that experience. What about you, Philly Like, how was that watching Blue Ivy come out and perform with her mother? What was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, one, can I say I was that kid in church and it, it did so much for my confidence. Seriously. Yes. Yes. <laughs> something seared in my mind and it's a reaction of my dad to hear me sing and just to have him react so emotionally. Right. That I'll never forget that just to see someone see me and really just truly be looking at me or a room of people truly looking at me, internalizing that at an early age that I have a presence has done a lot for me over the course of my life. And I hope it continues to do that for Blue Ivy as well. I hope it's been nothing but positive impact. Um, I loved it because she gets to be a child, a talented child, but a child nonetheless. First of all, that mm-hmm. is the coolest, most lucrative summer job I could ever imagine. I can, <laughs> she made more than all of us. <laughs> right, right. In one summer, in one summer. 
Come on, I was filing papers <laughs> for my dad and making maybe minimum wage at her age. So go ahead, Pulavi, you better invest it. But um, <laughs> I love that she got to be a kid, right? Especially because Black girls struggle so much with adultification from early mm. as well as, you know, something, unfortunately, girls uh, and boys uh, are taught to socialize, um, be socialized into early among themselves. And so I love that she was dressed like a tween. I love yes. that there was nothing that wasn't age appropriate about her. Her skin looked natural. Her hair looked like it was age appropriate. Her clothing was sufficiently loose. It wasn't suggestive in any way. And you see her side by side with her mother, who is a grown woman, who looks like a grown woman, who dresses like a grown woman, owns her sex. Yes. And you see that this is a child in relation. And her dance mm-hmm. were not suggestive. And I love mm-hmm. that, especially in a world where we're like, we love us some dancing dolls as well, which can get into some really suggestive stuff. I, I love that she got to challenge adultification with her presence. I also just wanted to share that one of the things I think is super powerful about Blue Ivy intentionally getting to represent herself that way and Beyonce as her mother socializing her into that is because Beyonce was also part of the emergence of like what millennials understand to be love and romance. And I was just telling a friend right before this conversation, I think we got introduced to love and romance in like the most toxic sense as possible as black millennials through music, whether that's like, say my name, like I have an expectation that people are going to mistreat me or that I know but a chicken head or, you know, I'm disposable as a woman. No, for real. Or that love is transactional. You got to, you got to be ready to come prepare in order to have my attention. And it's not necessarily as rooted in the emotional and the parody and the healthy things that it should be. And so I feel like, again, Beyonce has had time to reflect on her cultural impact and decide that this was not another time to um, reinforce that but to offer us something different about how we show up in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, no, go ahead, Pam. I was gonna say, I love that you said that last part too, because um, what um, pl- plastic off the sofa is, is just like, to me, a representation of that, of just realigning like what, what a, a woman who is loved and cherished you know, communicates to her partner. Yeah. Yes, that is, that is true. I had to just be like, ah, they've gotten over it. So I should too. When I heard that song. <laughs> <laughs> they've gotten over the, they've gotten over the situation. So I guess I have to too. But you know, it's just like, there's something, somebody that's done to your cousin, they may get over it, but you ain't. Mm, that's why you got to be careful tell people about your relationship because they will hold on to it and be like girl are you sure you sure blink once i know <laughs> yeah but no but you're right i mean i i love seeing people loved on thoroughly because it reflects on how they show up in the world and they you know are cared for not just in the romantic sense but even from the community that they have around them the village that they have around them and so i'm i'm curious to know from you all well actually fully me this is for you Thinking of like previous tours, how would you say the Renaissance tour differs from Beyonce's previous tours in this representation and celebration of like Black femininity? Ooh, give me a second on that. Mm. Yeah, because you've been to, you've been to Formation, you've been what, Black is Love or Black Parade or whatever the... You know, I can't even remember what that one was. I just, I think it was... Was it on the run? Was it on the run with both of them? On the run, they two. One and on two. The run two. Yes. It was on the run two. They have nostalgia and coins. So that's what we're we going to do this summer. That's what that tour was. Um, yeah. I think, like, just as we're talking about their relationship and, and reparative action in their relationship, I think 
the grace we give Beyonce to be transformed and transformative, we also have to give it to Sean, right? Mm-hmm. And in terms of answering your question, I think that shows up if you look at who she is in, in each of those tours. I do wish that mm-hmm. Lemonade and On the Run 2 tour were reversed because they would kind of make more sense in terms of a person's evolution. But, yeah, um, you know, obviously Lemonade is a interesting representation of Black femininity, right? And it ranges from justified anger. Um, so not being reduced to an angry black woman trope, but I got to I got reason to be mad to to paraphrase Solange in her fantastic polymathic work, right? Um mm-hmm. so I, I appreciated that. I appreciated the the softness um and how she talks about like the role her father played in shaping her and how yes. that, that um black women who were raised with engaged fathers or male figures need to um have celebrated and solidified and have as a reference point that is um, not something that we have to be ashamed of, unfortunately, because so many people have failed to fulfill their roles as community members, as fathers and important older male figures to many of our sisters. So I appreciated that. Um, I appreciate her talking about grief um, and talking about, you mm-hmm. know, like suicidal ideation, you know, um, and uh, saying, but instead, you know, I've decided to take my child with me and we're going we gonna to be all right, the two of us. Um, and then, of course, sorry, her and, and, and Serena just being beautiful sexual beings, <laughs> you know, sentience around their sexuality and some suggestively queer, you know, things. I was like, I love this whole situation. OK, thank you both. And then on the run, too, in comparison, is is a retrospective. So it feels kind of regressive. In comparison, because it's what was it about? It's it's from an era where Beyonce is basically an very early adult, some mm. late teenager, uh, minor in a relationship with a significantly older adult man. Definitely not questioning whether or not that person's a minor, and influenced by their role in culture and what it means to have at that time become a pop culture icon as a very sexualized, suggestive performer who was crawling around on the floor. And giving herself orthopedic problems with them shoes on, stomping around in them shorts. And, you know, telling us that was the version of sexy. Because you all know how we used to club. Is I sound so old right now. But we we used to wear the most... And you're not old. And you're not old at all. We're not old at all. We're not. But we used to wear the most dysfunctional stuff to move in. Whether it was the bandage type dresses, the unrealistic shoes that you weren't going to make it more than a block in anyway, right? And <laughs> they out here wearing oversized t-shirts and Janko-like jeans and their favorite sneakers and feeling sexy. And, and biker beautiful. shorts. And biker shorts. Exactly. Exactly. So I feel that Renaissance brings us to that in terms of like, you are your best when you are comfortable. What does that mm-hmm. look like? Bring that, do that, which I think also gets back to that, like floor seat and rewarding people for showing up as they are. So I think that that is the spectrum of Black womanhood that get got represented across those three experiences. Mm-hmm. This one being, I think, the most intersectional, the most recent one being the most intersectional. And I appreciate her for that. Yeah. appreciate you taking us, uh, taking us through the, the different tours and, and, and how, you know, she, she displayed Black, black femininity. And I, I can see how that could be the case if, since the Run the World 2 tour was after Lemonade. I also am curious to know, in watching this tour and even before today's conversation, something I've been doing is just, I noticed this during the concert, but then going back and just watching um, watching clips, because I was avoiding them until I actually went to the show, is that 
Beyonce seems to like just really be enjoying herself. She's known for her perfectionism. She's known for taking her craft really seriously. But this seems like a tour like she had the most fun in. Like she just genuinely seems tickled, pink by the crowd, by she just being silly. Like it's a little bit, I'm laughing because, you know, at the end of the show when she um, is floating above the crowd. And it's something she says, like, so crazy. It's something she says that it's just so silly. And she was like, is she, she's up there clowning. Like, she's just having a grand old time hanging from the rafters, like, hanging from. And, and, mm-hmm. and it made me think about, you know, uh, when, when the album first was released and there were some uh, articles that came out. I think she actually wrote an article, and I can't remember the publication at this time. But essentially, she was just like, oh, this album is a celebration of freedom and how she did self-care and reflecting like, you know, maybe I don't have to work as hard or maybe I can enjoy my time. It was something that she said about how you know, she's toured all over the world, but realized like she had actually never seen those places because she was working, you know, and she appreciated the time where she could just, where she could just slow down. Um, I know we, we've touched on this in a, couple of different ways but how do you aside from you won't break my soul which was like which was like the song of the, the pandemic because <laughs> everybody was just fed up and they was sick of their job they were ready to call it in it's above me now i i mean i can only really imagine how many people probably just sent oh, that youtube video to their bosses saying like i'm out <laughs> you know <laughs> That so I said, the updated equivalent of Dave Chappelle's I got Oprah pregnant, I'm out, exit. Like that is what that's what we needed. We needed to replace Dave, and she gave us that. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I said that to say, like, it was like self-acceptance, self-care. And so what what would you say? Which songs, I guess, songs or experiences from from the tour, even the album that you think really reflected this this sense of being you know, carefree and and really making sure that that you're taking care of 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 who you are so you can be the best that you can be. I'm gonna um go with going back to like just how um she felt you felt like Joy, you're saying <clears throat> she felt like she was just having fun and she was comfortable. Yeah. And it put you at ease. Like mm-hmm. I remember when she came out, um in Charlotte, it was like she I, I don't know if it was the first song before she even began singing. And she just kind of like stood back and looked around. Yeah. And 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 to have that like just in the opening and just to kind of like be like, yeah, I'm here. And and I think she opened by saying that it was her gratitude tour. Yes. And to it just set the mood also because when some when the artist is comfortable. And it's in that it is in that zone. Then you're like, okay, yeah, you know, we're all about feeling good. And um, I'm trying to think about for your question, the for what would um, what what kind of stands out to me. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, you know, and I do remember this at the concert when Cozy came out, when the the set for Cozy came out. Yes, I was like, yes, because I think that was the first. That was if if there's one song on the album. That was the one where I was like, because I was interviewing at the time. I was trying to kind of change my life. And and Cozy was the soundtrack to like, yeah, you got this. 
you know, don't be, you know, you're interviewing them. Tell, you know, it was like that mindset of you get to choose. They don't, you know, mm-hmm. you don't, no, it's not their choice. You get to choose what you want to do. And mm-hmm. when Cozy came out, I think I have pictures from most of my, my best pictures are from the Cozy set. I was like, yes. Oh, <laughs> that was my moment. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love that. What about you, Philemon? I'm here for that, Pam. That really resonates with me because so many of us are like adult adults now, right? Like we yes. direct reports or we own businesses or whatever the case may be. And it's like, no, yeah, I, I, I came into this room fully confident. And um, I would not suggest that you come at me sideways in this context, no. So I feel like she captured that really well culturally. One of my favorites is Church Girl. And I grew up in church. Um, very much so church was work day long for us who grew up Baptist. And um, mm-hmm. that's also a place where you learn to arrest your sexuality, even if you do identify with heterosexuality. And so I love church girl's juxtaposition that like, yeah, you can have this life that you were socialized into. You can have this belief system, but you also have a body. You also have desires. And you don't have to feel guilty about any of those. And I just like how she turns it up and she's like, you get to be all of those at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. And I also love energy. One of the reasons why I love it is because it's clearly got like an Afrobeats influence. And yes. the normalization of Afrobeats when, you know, my own lifetime, we could not get music from Sub-Saharan Africa in the United States. The closest we got was dance hall. We used to do the Shaba Ranks, for example, all the time as close as we got. Um, but now to hear it like on the radio with on uh, Beyonce album, everybody ready for it, you know, mm-hmm. it's amazing. It's just really amazing. And so those make me feel hella seen. And if I could just say when she did Black Parade, I felt like the only person singing along, but that is my song. And <laughs> me too. <laughs> and it was it was everything. It was. I was I was really glad she did um she did from she did from the Blackest King album. Which is actually one of my favorite, one of my top, my top Beyonce album. And a lot of people slept on it because they're like, oh, it's from The Lion King. But I was like, yeah, that's one of those soundtracks, kind of like how the Hamilton soundtrack, how you listen to it from beginning to end. And you get the, the character narrative, but you were also, it is, it is just lyrical storytelling. And I, I love it. Like, I almost wish she had a tour for, for that, you know? Um, I will say uh, there's not one specific song, but I remember hearing the album and it was like a breeziness to it. It was, it reminded me, I think it's maybe it's summer Renaissance where the song reminded me of disco, the seventies. It gave me the imagery of just skating, like summertime, skating with your friends at the skating rink with your pigtails and your shorts and your ribbons. And I was just like, ah, oh, I am loving. <laughs> and, I, and I think anytime an artist can make you think of simpler times and they invoke that feeling, it just, it really draw, it draws you even closer to them because in a way it's, it's invoking this possibly shared experience of, of, you know, more innocent times or just, you know, carefree summer living. Can can I jump in there on that just a little bit on the yeah do that? So there's an article, I think it's a Vanity Fair article that came out when Renaissance was released. And it was about how Beyonce will listen to a chord or a beat hundreds of times and find these parts of it and then 
layer them. She's clearly an amazing producer, composer, and then, you know, find these configurations that ultimately work. And there are, you know, various versions of the same song. Like there's multiple versions of Sorry, for example, and they have different feelings. If you've heard the other version of Sorry that wasn't released on the Lemonade album, they have different feelings. And one of the reasons why I think we so identify with Beyonce and it's so easy to make emotional connections to her music is because she does that. Because she picks these like chords that stay with you mm-hmm. or sort of primordially, energetically, they're familiar, but you may not name where they be able to name where they came from. And she layers them, I think, with so many other things, but that are like mimetic parts of music, right? They're like a segment of music that energetically mm-hmm. it was already introduced to you somewhere else. That's why it's so easy to to love it because you you already attached to it somewhere else. And I, I can't remember where I found it, but years ago there was this visualization, probably in New York Times, that like popular music is only so many degrees away from so many different genres, right? Like what is hyper palatable to us as human mm-hmm. beings? It's very repetitive. And yeah. Beyonce is able to create new compositions of sound, but we get really attached to her because she draws on something really fundamental about sounds that humans resonate with. And it's, I think it's why we get attached to everything she does so easily. I was just thinking in the sense of like the familiar, I'm like, as you know, it's the comfort. There is a comfort level of, of being able to like, you know, just feel comfortable um, in a song. So I was just agreeing fully with fully on me. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So we talked about our experience. What would you what would you say to a person who did not get an opportunity to go to the Renaissance show and what they could expect? I would tell them to go ahead and dig deep in some house crates, some Chicago house crates, some bounce from Houston. Um, some European house, maybe even a little on a piano and put those things together, get deep into them and then feel like that knowledge they gave themselves of that mm-hmm. anchoring set of sounds will mm-hmm. be, be um, mm, there's a word I'm looking for, will be rewarded because then they'll be able to enjoy how all these things were so beautifully put together, assembled. Mm-hmm. What about you, Pam? Oh my gosh. I love the way you put that together, um, Fuliami. I think for me, I would say, um, I would tell them, and it's just an experience. It's fully an experience. As someone who loves dance, loves dance, I I just I I I respect Beyonce on a different level because she thinks of the entire experience, which includes includes dance. And I think any mm-hmm. artist does that. Um, it's just like they're they're full artist. Um, yes. And so, to me, if you love art, it, it's just that show is like it's it's art. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And and I will say, and I think you might have touched upon this. Um, and briefly, when you left the show, like, and I mean, it is truly a dazzling array of artistry and lights and visuals, which I hope we will see at some point, which is which is hilarious. I don't know if you all heard this, but 
someone in the, my, the recent Miami show said something like, where are the visuals? And Beyonce said, you are the visuals, baby. And I was like, I don't know if she was playing or if that means, you know, we're the visuals because we're going to see the documentary of clearly of this tour. But yes. <laughs> clearly, but which I'm here for, I will happily relive the experience time and time and time again. But I am curious to know, like, you know, after being in that space, feeling the energy of like, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 people, you know, what, what did you walk away with at the end of, at the end of that show? And then like, as, as you went into the week, cause I, I, I noticed that many people almost needed like a day or two to process what they saw what, and what they heard. I'll start with you, Pam, and then pull you in. I think what I, um, so the day after Joy in her infinite wisdom um, scheduled a yoga class, a very relaxing yoga class that we went to. And I remember showing up and um, just, we we mentioned to like this this room of like mostly women um, I would say maybe middle-aged or o- older white women. Mm-hmm. And um, we mentioned that we went to, we had been to the concert and just the, the excitement that sh- that other people had, other women especially. And and I think because I, I tend to, artists that I love typically are not very popular. They're not mainstream. So I think for me, it was like really just being able to have in and gotten to experience something that I typically don't get where there's a community aspect where other people, I've mentioned it to people at work and who just, and even if it's not, it's, it's not an appreciation, like it's a shallow, you know, exchange, but it's still an exchange of like, Oh my gosh, you went to see Beyonce. Oh my. And I never get that because my art, they're all indie artists and no one ever knows them. So, <laughs> so I think that was to me. Like, I felt like I was reliv- reliving it through the connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that really speaks to that community aspect. Because because the Bay Hive is strong, and even if you're not a member of the Bay Hive, you are aware. It was beautiful. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's- and speaking of community, we have a short message. Hey, y'all, it's your girl, Joy Dixon-Paul from the Joyfully Black Podcast, and I've got some exciting news for you. Mark your calendars for January 20th, because from 1 to 3 p.m., we are hosting the Empowering Your Dreams Vision Board pop-up at the fabulous Pepper Box Donuts in Noda, located in Charlotte, North Carolina. This isn't just any event. It is a gathering of amazing, like-minded women who are ready to create the life they've always dreamed of. We'll be crafting vision boards that reflect the incredible journeys we plan to embark on this year and beyond. And guess what? You don't need to bring a thing. Well, I'd say in the spirit of community, go ahead and bring one magazine or two to share. So we have got refreshments to keep our creative juices flowing and a variety of crafting supplies and boards to make sure your vision boards pop. It is all about inspiring each other, sharing laughs, and enjoying some delicious treats. So how do you join in on this empowering experience? Simple. Just head over to our Instagram page at Joyfully Black. That's at Joyfully BLK. And click on the link in our bio to register. That's at Joyfully BLK. 
I am so excited about this event, y'all, and I can't wait to finally meet all of you in person. It is going to be a day filled with joy, creativity, and of course, community. Now, let's dive back into today's episode of Joyfully Black. Keep shining and remember your dreams are valid and worth pursuing. See you at the pop-up. It was just like um, pretty much, I don't know what you call it, like just a re- I don't know the last time I saw you, but mm-hmm. in person, but to have, especially with, we're always moving and to have a good, you know, an old friend. Yes. To share that experience in a black woman, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. to share that experience. And then just to have our yoga moment the day after. So to me, it was just like a, a continuation from the mm-hmm. concert. Yeah, I was really glad that you were able to come too. Because I I did want to have that experience in a specific in a specific way. I really did, for, especially for this album. But I think it's different because you know you you can relate to the content on like an even deeper yeah. level because yeah. of who the artist is. Mm-hmm. And I don't yeah. I don't think I had expected that. But I when we were talking about it about it and after the concert, I thought I was like this was deeper than I expected, honestly. You were just like, I'm going for a good time, but it, oh, it yeah. I'm going to see Beyonce. And then it was right. like, oh gosh, what an experience. And to have it. Oh, I know. You know, it was absolutely amazing. Yes. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Awesome, Pam. What about you, Philly? What did you leave the show as you processed it, you know, following it? What did you leave with? You know, I actually spent a lot of time thinking about my gratitude for the people that I went with. Um mm. You know, I was so grateful for us as a little quad. Um, They were amazing human beings to have that experience with. We all have different subject positions, different identities in in the world. And it was amazing to see it through all of their eyes as well. Right. And to like dance in the space with them and connect uh, uh, to the experience with them. But also like the run up to it where we created all this community, like somebody put together care packages. God bless her. OK, she is an amazing human being. She gave, she gave us like hydration IVs. and Oh, wow. And she gave us like like uh, removable tattoos and we tattooed each other. It was kind of like a sleepover. The connections we built because we were just so excited to share this experience together further cemented like why we are in community with one another in the first place and that just amplified it and i think i just walked around for a few days with deep 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 gratitude for those people in my life and being able to experience this with them is an extension of already being in a beautiful community mm-hmm. oh that's lovely i'm glad you had you had that experience as well that's so cute a little care package so that is so sweet i you know, during the tour, I had to make my sh- I had to make myself stay present because there was so much going on that it's easy to get lost in the decadence of it all. I mean, and I actually I really appreciated, you know, the moments during the set changes of sorts, or when you know the performers would leave for a minute for costume changes, where we would see these visuals going on. I appreciated it because it almost gave you a chance to get a quick reprieve. Because you are going to be stunned in another way. And as most people know by now, you know, Beyonce opens up the concert with ballads. And before she goes into the, the dance music. And 
I just remember she looked was so beautiful. I mean, she just looked. I don't like the like the hysterical tip, the stereotypical Madonna, but she had a um like a, a head a headdress and it was all black and it was so billowy. And I just remember sitting there. And I didn't get emotional, but I felt a deep sense of appreciation for the vocals, for one, because I appreciate a singer who is a master of her craft. I sat in deep appreciation, not just for her, but I, I saw her as an embodiment of someone who was allowed to walk on her purpose. And I actually had appreciation for her parents. Blessed, I, as, I, as I was, you know, watching the, the first part of, of the show, the initial part of the show, I thought, what a gift it was that she said she had this desire and she had parents, a family that rallied around her to say, this is what you want to do. If you're willing to work for it, we're going to make this happen. And how she is so clearly walking in her zone of genius. And I thought, what, what a powerful example of how magical and I know that may seem a little wooly but just how magical and delightful your life can be and not saying that you won't ever have any struggles or challenges but just knowing that you are operating in the in the space that you are meant to be and and just seeing her on the stage is like I could imagine her anywhere else and it made me want that for everyone else that was sitting in the audience because listen they always say sometimes you need to see an example in order to know that it's it could be a reality for you and I just just had an overwhelming sense of of gratitude for this gift that we were being allowed to see in our lifetime. Amen. Ashe. Well, well, Fulayene, thank you so much for joining us today on Deathly Black and sharing your thoughts about the Renaissance Tour. And definitely appreciate it, uh, appreciate your deep dive into the cultural nuances of shout out of, to the uh, African American Studies Department. <laughs> Shout out, shout out, an educated queen. Uh, <laughs> so thank you so much, Fulayeme, again. Pamela, thank you all for, for spending this time on today's episode. And uh, until next time, we'll see you then. Stay in the black, y'all. Thanks for having us. Hey, y'all, I really hoped you enjoyed today's episode. So as you think about your own renaissance or the renewal that you want to have for your life for this year and beyond, go ahead, register today for the Empowering Your Dreams vision board pop-up on January 20th from 1 to 3 p.m. in Charlotte, North Carolina. So go ahead and register at JoyfullyBLK on Instagram. That's at JoyfullyBLK by clicking on the link in bio. See you soon. Hey there, lovely listeners. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Joyfully Black. I hope that you're enjoying our content as much as we love creating it for you. So if today's episode has resonated with you or you find it valuable, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe button. It ensures that you never miss an episode and helps us reach more listeners like you. So if you've got a friend who'd love what we're talking about today, don't keep it a secret. Sharing is caring after all. Send them a link and spread the word. And last but not least, we truly value your thoughts and feedback. Whether it's a topic you'd like us to cover or thoughts on today's discussion, drop a comment or send us a message on joyfullyblk.com or on Instagram. Your voice matters and it really helps shape the future of our show. Remember, this podcast grows and thrives because of listeners like you. So subscribe, share, and speak up.
Until next time, stay in the black, y'all.